Hello, and welcome to another episode of Business Without Bullshit, where we continue our conversation with Neil Parker, Chief FX Market Strategist from NatWest, and hear more about how he got there and what he thinks is business in our Business Versus Bullshit quickfire round. Shall we focus in on you? Yeah, okay. (laughs) For a bit. Uh, First proper job. Uh, my first proper job was I worked in Tesco's when I was 15. Nice. Um, On I the tills was, or stacking? I was stacking the shelves. Um, that was in Northampton. I did that on a Friday night and a Saturday night. So I worked through the night on a Saturday. That must have curtailed your spending as well. That's quite good because you can't was, go out and spend yeah, it. I mean, uh, but the thing was that I, I was... Handing alcohol to people through the window, you know, mates. <laughs> no, no, they wouldn't. <laughs> Funnily enough, they wouldn't let me work the alcohol aisle. They were, they, 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 they were prescient before their time. I, I was doing that job actually because... For my 14th birthday, I was bought a ZX Spectrum. Classic. And I wanted all of the games for the ZX Spectrum, <laughs> Daily, Daily Thompson's Decathlon and so on and so forth. So I had to go and get a job. And I got a paper round for a while, but the paper round was actually quite hard work <laughs> uh, because it was up a lot of hills uh, and everything else. And it took me about two and a half, three hours per day. Bloody hell, is Northampton particularly hilly? No. I'm okay. just very lazy. Okay. Um, so it felt like they, they, they were big hills. And um, and so in the end, the Tesco's were advertising. And the reason I did nights is because I got double pay. How old are you at this point? 16? 15. 15. Okay. So I just, I just, I'd like, so I'd go in on Friday, I'd go from uh, 9 p.m. until I think it was 3, it was either 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. And then I'd go in on Saturday and work 9 p.m. until 7 a.m. Um, wow. Did you did you get all these Spectrum games? No, there... no, I, did, I didn't get all of them, but... Um, uh, but, but they were I did, on tape back Daily then, Daily Thompson's Decathlon? I did get Daily Thompson's okay. Decathlon and I did get Manic Minor. Manic Minor. Um, so, um, you know, that was... But no, I, I, I mean, I did that and then I, I saved quite a lot of money as well. Because even back in the day, I, 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 I was quite tight. Okay. Um, <laughs> At least you're on it. Is that an important quality for an economist? No, <laughs> no, no. That's just that's just my upbringing, which is I didn't like spending money. I still don't like spending money unless I absolutely have to, which is something that uh, my wife and I frequently disagree about. But um, but no, that that wasn't my favourite job though. I'd have to say like that that was my first proper job. But my favourite job was actually stacking furniture. Oh. And so it was cane furniture that came out of Is there some satisfaction the thing? Is how high you can get no, the... the reason that that was actually my favourite job is that it was quite easy to do. Even though it's cane furniture, it's actually quite light. So yeah. like, like you can carry five sofas wow. quite easily. And you could generally get the job done. It was an eight-hour day, but you could generally get the job done in five. But no one ever told the boss. And then we'd go down the snooker club for three hours. And no, the boss was, was part of it. Wow. Um, so, so. Wait, 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 what good. do you mean stacking furniture? Surely it comes stacked. Or no? No, no, you'd, you'd have to move it off the lorries where it was coming in and you have to move it into the warehouse, move all the cushions into the warehouse as well before it then went out onto another lorry to go to wherever it was going, whether it was one of the. Back when cane furniture was all the rage. Everyone it still had, is. Is it's it? It's st- still all the rage. They're still That company is still going strong. Oh, um, really? They supplied a, um, a number of garden centres and one I major. I mean, I retailer. knew Northampton was behind in the times but that seems unbelievable 
No, 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 no. This is this is a nationwide been thing. Summer. What you still got a conservatory, conservatory. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or summer house, or or um... never understood conservatories. They're too really? hot in the summer and they're too cold in the winter. They're sort of a bizarre, bizarre room. Works That's very English. Four days a year. But it was then that I realised I'd never be a snooker player. Um, because I spent three hours in a snooker club and it was absolutely terrible. So yeah, you think it's after impossible. all that practice, you no, might... I was just awful. Okay, you never got any better. No. In your job, what do you find most misunderstood? I guess about your job uh, as an FX market strategist, people believe that you're just able to produce things immediately. So somebody will say, "Oh, what do you think about so and so?" Like we say, sterling doing. against the dollar. What do you think about sterling against the dollar? And I go, oh, "Okay, I'll come back to you." No, no, I need it now. Like, oh, wow. No, I'm going to actually have to go away and think about this. Yes, we've got what our forecasts are, but... And I've got are, what I thought yesterday. Things are constantly changing. <laughs> so I'm going to go and I'm going to have a look and I'm, then I'm going to go and give you a view. Uh, I mean, I remember one time we got asked what a 100-year view was in cable. Um, <laughs> in what, sterling dollar. Um, is that what it's called in the trade? Cable? It's called cable because it used to... Like, the trade um, used to be reconciled by a big cable under the sea under between the, the Fed Atlantic. and the Bank of England. So the sterling against the Irish punt was called the wire because if you needed a big cable to get to the US, you only needed a small wire, wire to get... Yes, blood. what's up with the wire? Um, <laughs> so, um, so, so yeah, we did get asked what our 100-year view was in sterling dollar, which I didn't What was actually, your answer? I didn't take an awful lot of time to, to give my answer. <laughs> I, think I, I think I just said three. What's the most difficult thing about your job? The most difficult thing is, is that you never face the same situation twice. Right. There's, ne there's, there's never two days that are the same. Yeah. So you're always faced with a different set of circumstances, a different set of data releases to analyze. You must never actually be right, do you? I mean, you, I'm sure you are maybe right about... <laughs> That's harsh. You know, but I mean, but, you know, in detail. I, you know. I, will, I, I, will, I will say this, that one time we won Currency Forecaster of the Year. Okay. And, and we were about 65 cents out on our forecast. Wow. And we were the closest. So Yeah, yeah so I, I, I actually think you are right a lot of the time. So I mean that in a slightly, but it's within that job. Do you know what I mean? And in essence, you're never really, you're sort of, oh, I sort of got it right. No, people look at your forecast from a year ago and they say, well, why didn't you get that right? And yeah, say, exactly. Well, actually, everything changed. And if you look at how our forecast evolved, and they don't, they don't give you any credit for altering your forecasts. Yeah. So if a new piece of information comes in, you're going to obviously take that on board, but you're given no credit in, in, in terms of... Is that the of, bit that if, if there was the meat and veg of your job, uh, you know, um, is, is that sort of giving, giving what, a three-month sense on cable? Is that, is that okay? That's like, that's like meat and potatoes. That, you, know? That, that, you know, we will get a lot of clients asking, what's your thoughts? I mean, I even got asked a question... And you publish this, this publicly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, so we, 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 we set ourselves up for public ridicule. But, you know, we do this because we are trying to interpret on a real-time basis all of the information and produce something that looks lucid and rational. And, and then somebody will come along and go, oh, you didn't predict the Ukraine, Ukraine getting invaded by mm. Russia. And it's like, no, well, neither did any of the governments. Yeah. Until it was too late. Yeah. Was it a nice trophy, though? It was actually a bottle of champagne. 
Okay, we, that's not bad. Um, a which magnum? We shared, we sh- no, no, uh, no. We shared and made we the sh- worst forecast. <laughs> we, we shared it around um, with other people because we did feel guilty about the fact that we'd won. Um, but, um, but no, it is impossible, I think, to do that job without... You have to have a degree of thick skin. Yeah. Um, because otherwise you wouldn't last five minutes. Is it an imposter syndrome job, therefore, that the more you do it, actually, the more you learn and then the more you feel like you don't really know what you're doing? Does it have that aspect to it, like most complex jobs do? To to a degree, yes. Like, you do feel like you're always learning. So, uh, I mean, you know, I've been 27 years working in the financial markets, working for the same company as well, which is unusual. And, um, and and I think that I'm still learning now. I don't think I'll ever stop learning. I think even when I give up, um, eventually, because I'll probably be like your, your your father. I'll probably still be working when I'm seventy five. And if 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 you wanted to get into it now, is it the same? What you you went to university and did economics and then joined NatWest? You were sponsored by NatWest? Or no, I wasn't. RBS. Spon- I wasn't sp- sponsored. So I I did economics. I did a master's degree in international economics, which included international finance, which I think is a uh, a critical part of of economics. But a lot of people don't do that. They do micro and macro and a lot of of, of other sort of mathematics. But I think international finance is absolutely critical if you want to get into investment banking. And um, and then I didn't get a job um, immediately. I think RBS advertised pretty late on. So I missed the initial cutoff for their graduate recruitment program. Yeah. And then they advertised again in January or February. And so I applied. And this is in... in 1995. <laughs> no, I didn't have a kipper tie and flare trousers. Um, uh, and this was 1995. And and then it all went very, very quick. So I had a first interview. So we had assessment centre first to do a load of psychometric testing, which was series and maths and, and, and verbal reasoning. Then we did a first interview. Then we did a very quick second interview after that. So if they liked you, they got you back within a matter of a few days. Then all of a sudden I was whisked up to Stockport or somewhere outside of Stockport for a selection centre. And I was going, I was actually going for a job in sales. And the head of sales at the time, a lovely lady, sat me down and said, so, why do you want to be in sales? And my response is, I don't actually. It's a job. (laughs) Uh, And she said, sorry, I don't understand. I said, well, I think I've proven over the course of this selection centre that I am utterly unsuited to sales. (laughs) So I think I'd be better off in trading. And, she, and her response was, thank God for that. Because <laughs> there is no way in hell I would employed you in sales. So even at that, 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 that sort of early stage, I was pretty attuned to what my strengths and weaknesses were. Um, and, um, and yeah, so, so, so that's how I got into it. But the difficulty of the job is that you're, you are never, the same as I said, same as a golfer, you are never going to master the subject. No you're matter never, how in, long your, you're you never in your comfort zone, really. No. And actually, that's a good place to be. If you're not in your comfort zone, you're always concentrating. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice I've ever, I was ever given was from my dad. My dad said, you can only give 100%. Oh, God, I wish you'd come and tell all the startups I work with that. 
fuck's sake, it's so irritating. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite a nice thing for your dad to say. You had a good relationship with him. I had a really good relationship with my dad. I remember when I got the job at, at RBS, he actually cried. It was one of the few times yeah, I saw him cry. he sounds like a good man. That's a, that's, a, that's a good thing to say to a son, I think. That's yeah. like, you know. So my dad was uh, was an engineer by training. Um, he worked as a uh, peacemaker, toolmaker in the boot and shoe industry to begin with. Then he went to work as a draftsman. Um, and then he eventually worked as a manager for a, a business called Filtrona. And, uh, and, and thereafter, when Filtrona closed down in Bletchley, he, um, he went to work for a local hospital wow. as an estates manager. And, no way, he did um, loads of things. He did, um, but he spent the bulk of his um, working life working for Filtrona. And, and, and I mean, he had a shed at the bottom of the garden. Uh, it was quite funny, actually. Because I never Did heard Filtrona make filtration systems. They or? make filters. They made industrial filters, but they also made filters for cigarettes. Ah, um, uh, and and the machines. And he'd be also. down at the end of the garden. But testing be, their no, no, no. Filters. He'd be down at the end of the garden with a, he had a lathe and the drill and all sorts of other stuff. Oh, cool. I never heard my dad swear until one day I was about sixteen or seventeen. My mum sent me down to get him for for for, for tea, and um, and I could hear him singing. And I recognised the song, but I didn't recognise any of the words. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, as I say, the first time I ever heard him swear. And um, and he must have been singing for about two and a half minutes, and then he realised that I was there, and it was like, how much have you heard? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard enough. By the way, tea's ready. Um, but he was a lovely guy, sadly no longer with us, and... Um, I miss him terribly, but as I say, best piece of advice he ever gave me. And why? Because uh, it kept me grounded in terms of what he was trying to say was you can only give your best. Mm. Yeah. And you might not be the best at everything, but you can only give your best. And you give your best and it's not good enough, then, well, never mind. Yeah, yeah. But like, don't go beating yourself up over the fact that you're not necessarily the best quite like the reverse psychology in it too because it's actually a nice thing to say to someone like that's all you can give mm-hmm. but it's also suggests to you subconsciously you can also give that as in like you can try really hard yep. you know and and you know I remember my dad telling me to work hard and then I was like well what's work hard mean and he's like well you know like give your all and you kind of what does that really mean you know you're in class it's time for lunch am I supposed to stay here and like work extra now you know because I could do that yes. like I could just fucking yes, eat cheese sandwiches later you know it's a hard no. thing to navigate uh, I, I mean I, I would also say that it's the piece of advice that I'd pass on um, to everybody which is just give of your best mm. and uh, and if you give, give of your best yeah. Uh, yeah and if you do that then like even if somebody says that's not good enough yeah. You can say, well, that's the best I've got. Yeah. Yeah, and, but you're absolutely right. I never get annoyed with people if I've asked them to do something and they do it badly, but I know they've worked at it mm-hmm. and made an effort. It's when you know that they've just dashed it off and handed it back. Yeah. And very quickly, I, 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 I to, like so, so my best friend has two daughters and uh, the eldest daughter, uh, very, very smart at university, uh, but before she went to university... Uh, there was one occasion, and I was I was witness to it, where he said, "Is this the best that you can do to her?" To which her response was, "No." And he said, "Well, I I welcome your honesty, but you know what my response is going to be now, which is go back and, and, do, it and do it again." And uh, uh, but it was an interesting exchange because there there was that 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 brief moment where he actually didn't know how to respond to that. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he expected that he expected us to say yes, and then he was going to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I thought that was I thought that was very interesting. As uh, you know, uh, like how to how, handle a parent. I mean, I, I I don't know that I would have been able to respond to that without laughing. Yeah. How he kept his, his composure mm. together, I don't know. So top three reads, podcasts, Economists. records. You don't have to have three of everything. And, okay. you know, you don't have to you go for categories. You three of anything. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be really nerdy for, with one of my top three uh, reads. Because I buy something every single year, which is The Economist Pocketbook of Figures. Whoa. And that now, sounds like the worst read the of all time. the living daylights out of most people. But it's consistent. It is... The, it is economies and how they're doing year to year to the year. The money man's writing it oh, down. Like I'm not going to bother because there's no way I'm ever small? reading yeah, that. It's, it's a tiny, tiny book. It's like but one it's of those little loads and loads books and loads that you could keep in your pocket when your client asks you a difficult question. And I love that book. I love it. It, it. It's persistently out of date, but it doesn't matter because it, you get a direct comparison of economies. And I think it's brilliant. So I'm sorry, that's really nerdy. Yeah, no, that, I like that, number one. One of, one of the best books I've ever read... Um, was a, a book called Greece's Odious Debt. And it talks about Greece's lurch into financial mm. crisis. And then the third one, uh, I, I, I'm sure a lot of people would have this down on their list, is Liar's Poker by Michael Lewis. Liar's Poker. It's a really, really good book. And it's uh, about when he was working for Salomon Smith Barney. Uh, and a bank, it was, is it? Yeah. Uh, and um, and it was a, a game that they used to play with... Um, dollar notes and everything else. Uh, uh, but it, it, it's not actually about that. It's about um, his experience of working there. It's about the people Was it a dodgy, a dodgy place or it's just banking? No, no, it's no, just no. the reality. It, it? it wasn't dodgy at all. It, it just demonstrates the uh, uh, like how high-pressured an environment it was. Um, and this is how people used to blow off steam um, yeah. uh, or one of the ways they used to blow off steam. But it also talks about the evolution of individuals that went on to then form long-term capital management, um, which then went uh, spectacularly bust in 1998. But it's, it, it is a fascinating read in terms of their, their thought processes around investment, their thought processes around trading, uh, and so on and so forth. And it's, it's a, it is a brilliant book. And Michael Lewis, I'd have to say, has written a tremendous number of really interesting books about the way in which the financial markets operate uh, across a broad range of financial markets as well. Brexit. I will refuse to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you, you don't like to give an opinion on it, or you're not talking as a bank here? No, I'm, I, I'd like to be honest, I really don't think that... that we know. Well, I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. Um, not for certain. I think... Sadly, it's been distilled to uh, a far too simplistic debate. Yeah. On both sides. One yeah. day we'll be standing, our faces raised to get the heat from the sun in those sunlit uplands going, well, there you go, it just took longer. Can I just uh, say that I remember a quote from Mervyn King when he was talking about whether or not we should join the euro or not. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he's a former Bank of England governor, and he said we could join and not know for 300 years whether or not it had been successful or otherwise. Wow. I, 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 the, the problem that you've got is that you can't go back in time. Once something has happened, you can't roll the clock back and say, well, this would have happened. And no matter how accurate forecasters think that they are, the fact of the matter is that they're not. 
because they don't have a time machine. Yeah. And that's why those that want to criticise Brexit, like they're, they're doing so from a situation that no longer e exists. And those that, 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 that want to praise it do so from a situation where they couldn't hope to understand what would have happened had, mm. had we not voted. I to guess live. from your perspective in your line of work, you're analysing loads of these sort of things that have these impacts. So it's just another thing that's happened that has an impact, some of it bad and some of it good. And, 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 and yeah, there can't be now a universe that exists without it. Because but subsequent to that, so many other things have now happened that, that you can no longer disassociate yeah. Brexit from all of those things. Yeah. That is the weirdest thing about Brexit. Everything that happened to us happened to everyone because of COVID. Everything was supposed well, to happen to us. And, yeah. and, and, and mm. uh, I mean, you know, do I, do I like standing for slightly longer in queues at airports? No. no. Um, am I uh, particularly fond of, of, of some of the things that have come out of Brexit? The answer is no. Um, but equally, I can't sort of imagine what would have uh, have happened had we we stayed in, because the there were other things that could have, could have been an, a significant net negative for the UK, such as our participation in things like the uh, Universal Fund for um, uh, for bailouts. Yeah, that there's been a lot of talk now. Uh, about because we didn't pay a lot of money recently for COVID that we could we would have no, paid no, a large no no I, no I don't I don't think that's the case but there were things like the uh, the fact that Europe were looking to uh, try try and uh, build this 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 fund to support the, their markets so that they weren't too dislocated and would we have had to have contributed to that and the honest answer is I don't know yeah. Mm. Um, and and the honest answer to all of this is we don't know how things would have been um, without Brexit. Also, it's how we react to it now, isn't it? It's I what mean, we do now as a country going forward, you know. I think the worst thing about those longer queues in the airports is that <laughs> they... But they all end in an actual person. You've got to speak to the... The no, they customs don't even official. at the moment, by the way. There's just fucking no one there. It's no, just no. When you go, extra. when you go to Europe, you have to speak to a customs official who asks you why you're in the why you're coming into the country, <laughs> how much money you've got, where you're staying, do you know where you're staying, and that kind of thing. And being British, you end up having to apologise for like 15 minutes because none of this would be happening. I'm sure what they've done too it's in the awful. airports is they've moved our stand. They've moved all the British Airways flights to the furthest away. Like so they've had to put it through another. School person now you know anyway they done, fact, they, we were we were way up there philosophically yeah haven't sorry they, but haven't it's they true. done haven't they done that at gatwick and and heathrow as well though because it always feels like you're walking oh my god forever. we almost you're missed off forever. flights and we seem to be running down a corridor for days it felt like there's so many places um now for for planes to park versus, or it feels that way, but maybe that's just me getting old. No, I think it is. And we don't like the bus. We don't like to be bussed. And I've noticed in other countries, they kind of fuck off the whole long terminal and they just bus everyone. That's quite, that's quite common. I, I once went on holiday with somebody who's disabled and it was amazing. Because <laughs> <laughs> they pick you up. Like, oh, you, it is amazing. You, they you, pick you up at the front. They pick they? you up at security and they put you on a little thing where you're facing backwards. So you see everybody walking along these interminable corridors and you're just like... I had a girlfriend's oh. mum who was 
quite tough nut. And uh, she she get to the airport and then just claim her legs didn't work and they put her in a wheelchair <laughs> and they take us through. It but we were when, in uh, Italy. In Italy, we're in this charm. in this to get into the plane. We're in this like little oh, van I know, thing I, I know, yeah. and it kind of concertinaed up to the door wow. and then the doors of the thing we were in opened and you went in I enjoyed it a lot but I felt very guilty watching everybody walking um, but yeah I, I mean that, that's why I, in terms of Brexit I have my own personal view but quite frankly it's a, it's irrelevant yeah it really is yeah. irrelevant yeah. and um, and one, one thing I, I'd, I'd sort of say uh, the, the, the reason uh, why I, I would refuse to uh, to answer on that is that I don't think you're ever going to give an answer that will please anybody. Yeah. Mm. No, you're not. You're a people pleaser then. No. <laughs> <laughs> and what about, um, as a final one, businesses taking futures, contracts, what's that called? That's, uh, is what are you talking about? Well, it's, it's a, a financial concept. So if I'm in business, you know, and FX trading, I can hedge you know, I can try and buy two sides of the currencies, but do you think businesses should be actively involved, you know, in sort of buying future contracts and doing, you know, something more sophisticated? I think it depends on the, the size of the business. Um, but if, uh, if the business is sufficiently large, then it is a potentially useful to also business. Okay. And that, okay. but you should know, I mean, you need someone you, to think about it all the time. You, you, well, well, A, you, you, you need a, uh, a bank to understand what your needs are and then to um, present you with the options that are suitable. But the the business itself has to take the decision. It's not for the bank to say, you should do this. They can present you with options and say, these will solve the the, the problem that you've presented to us. Okay. Um, and for a lot of, for, for a lot of um, organizations, it will be very, very simple um, for others, it will be a bit more complex and, and require a greater degree of flexibility. But only in certain cases w- would you say, you certainly shouldn't um, uh, as a business ever put all of your eggs in one basket. Because we glo- everyone globalises so fast now. I remember seeing a graph from like, you know, 30 years ago, you know, time until entering first new markets, like a year now, mm. you know, and it used to be five years until you bother entering anyone else. But mm. the, I, most clients I noticed, none, none of no one really understands FX, you know, and really what they should be doing financially with their money, you know. I, I, I disagree. I, th- I think people do understand FX, but with everything, there comes a cost, either an opportunity cost because you might miss out on favourable moves, or it might be a cost in terms of if you're looking to purchase an option, then it, that comes with a financial cost associated. But everything comes at a cost, one way or another. And people look at, at well, I'm going to do nothing because then at least I'm not going to have these costs. But that comes at a cost as well because risk. you essentially miss out. Yeah. So it's about, it is about risk management. Uh, the, the world of, of financial markets is generally about risk management and not, as I think a lot of people think, you know, you're going to be Gordon Gecko Making um, money. Greed is good, man. Uh, Actually, that's an interesting way of approaching it as a subject. It makes a lot more sense rather than sort of, okay, I'm a company. I'm thinking, oh, I might make a load of money because the dollar might go up. So maybe I should just keep it. Don't think about it like that. You're a business. Think about it as from a risk management point of view. I'd I'd, I'd like to say that that's my own quote, but actually that was how a a client described it to me. Right. And and ultimately I couldn't do anything but agree with them. Yeah. That it isn't about you making money. 
It's about you, A, having certainty or, and flexibility um, over the, uh, the, the currency that you're expecting to receive over a set time period. That, that, that's what it is. It's management. And you said risk management. Well, that's exactly what it mm. is. It's taking one of the risks that you have and reducing the potential for so that to impact your P&L. One, one thing I would say is um, it is always better to go and uh, seek the opinion of a bank or financial organisation um, that knows about the risks around FX rather than try and muddle through or, or, or manage it yourself. Yeah, yeah. They provide the advice. Well, they don't necessarily provide advice, but they, they provide, as I say, they provide you with options. Yeah, yeah. And it's better to have options than to have no understanding of the options that are available to you. It's interesting that you guys have a duty to try and predict where it's going and publicly make that available in a way because it's an unfair job. It's like, look, we provide these products, you know, and I'm going to tell you where it's going to go. Oh, well, in that case, I'll buy that product. It's like, well, I don't know it's going to go there. It's one of the one of the reasons why we produce something called the Reuters poll. Um, well, Reuters actually produce it, and we just uh, reproduce it, um, and we show the range of where the market is, the distribution of the forecasts. Um, and where we are on that. And we say, look, you know, this is us, but we're one of 80. Yeah. Um, the, you know, this is ah, what you need to okay. consider. Compare the market. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we would compare the market before compare the market, but only on FX. And we didn't corner the market on that one, I'm afraid. Um, but the... <laughs> we'll have a but the... The, the, the Russian issue, maker. The, 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 yeah. the issue with regard to, to FX markets is everybody's going to have an opinion. And by the way, those opinions are generally based on exactly the same information that you've got in front of you. The thing that's different is what you then believe is going to happen. Yeah. That's what creates the difference of FX forecasts. The known information isn't going to change. You would expect to get wisdom of the crowd, wouldn't you, if you could add all those opinions together, the theory that if you put it together, you'll actually get the cleverer answer. No, what you actually get, normally with the Reuters poll, is something that's not a million miles away from where the spot market is at the time. The reason being is that... It, you're predict it's not you're always, predicting the present rather than the well, future. No, no, it's not always the case, but you're normally going to get a healthy share of individuals that think it's going to go down Right. And a healthy share of individuals that think it's going to go up and buy a similar amount. And so they meet fairly close Hilarious. to where the spot rate is. Which <laughs> um, shows that we only know now. We don't know then. Well, uh, I mean, if, if I truly knew where it was all going, rather than that I thought I knew where it was going, then I wouldn't be sat here. Yeah. You'd have much better things to do. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure the about yacht. that. I'm not sure. No, I don't sail. Um, but no, and, and that's the thing. No, but nobody really knows where it's going. Nobody really knows. And certainly nobody ever knew where things were going at the height of the financial crisis or at the height of any other crisis. Now, the, uh, the one that I, I, I remember, um, which was the first crisis that I ever witnessed, was the crisis that engulfed long-term capital management a number of Far Eastern countries, a number of Latin American countries, and Russia. What's that, 1998? That was 98, yeah. It started in 97, but it, it, it snowballed in 98. And, and I remember thinking, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. 
And the Dow dropped 550 points in a day. And we were like, oh my God, this is like, this is dreadful. And now the Dow does 550 points and nobody blinks an eye. Mm. Yeah. 10 years later, you were like, oh yeah. You were like, nothing, mate. And, and, and that, that's the other thing, which is like with experience comes, does come some wisdom in terms of that you don't think it's the end of the world every time. Yeah. You the know, media just likes to say that. You've witnessed enough crises to realize that actually there's always a route out. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Ori Clark got its start back in 1935. And while the world has changed a bit, it's more than just survived. From complying with the FCA and all things financy, they can also speak fluently in the language of legalese. Clark was born and raised right here in the UK and now for 20 years they've been helping others get set up and on their way. Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. Okay, so that brings us to our favorite part of the show. So the business versus bullshit quick far round. D, cue the music. So this is where we're going to list uh, a load of key terms and all you have to do is tell us whether you think it is business or not business. Okay. <laughs> if you're on the fence about any of them, you can say business-ish. Okay. Business-ish. Right. right. Yeah. Um, diversity quotas. Business. Stand-up meetings where people apparently, you know, I've never met it's anyone who's had one, stand up in a meeting so they don't last as long. No, not business. <laughs> Caffeine. Oh, definitely business. <laughs> uh, meeting agendas. Coming to a meeting with an agenda. Business. Hour-long meetings. Not business. <laughs> I quite like the non-business version. <laughs> Office dogs. <clears throat> uh, I'm afraid to say not business. Oh. Shut your ears, Romeo. Oh, poor Rose. Uh, I'm very pleased by that, though. Carbon credits. Business. Uh, where are my list? Swearing in meetings. Not business. Uh, pub lunches. I'd like it to be business, but it's not business. Not anymore. No. It's not, it never has been. It never has been business. Oh come on! It was. I'm sure it was central to business no. back. Then. Do you know? My dad said it stopped when entertainment was no longer deductible for tax. <laughs> okay. It used to be deductible. Oh, that's why they always to go out for lunch. He said taxes were really high, but you could go for lunch, so you all just get pissed at lunch. You know, that's where it came from. It's, and then they said entertainment is not deductible anymore, and he said that's been ruining it. For so years. I, 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 I will re reiterate then. Definitely. Definitely not business. <laughs> uh, where are we at? B Corps. Do you know what a B Corp is? I don't, so I don't know. <gasps> I can't answer that. How can you not know what a... It, basically, it's a um, a certification that gets handed out, originated in America, and you have to prove that you're a business for good and that you're oh. ticking certain boxes in employment and environment and all these things, uh, so and then you like get a stamp. ESG. Yes. Yeah, uh, then business. Uh, Non-disclosure agreements. Business. Uh, unlimited holidays. <laughs> Not business. <laughs> uh, 
Um, LinkedIn. Not business. Oh, interesting. Controversial. I, 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 the reason I say not business is that, that I don't believe... I mean, I use it for business, but I don't think it is used predominantly for business. Oh, okay. Okay. Formal work clothes as a banker. Business. Okay. I think we answered this one earlier, but we'll just do a few uh, uh, Bitcoin then. Definitely not business. Not business. NFTs? Sorry. Not business. Right. Um, by the way, NFTs are even worse than Bitcoin as far as I'm concerned. Quantitative easing. Um, it's a hard one because I think they've taken it too far. But business because it, it was necessary initially. Okay, so this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch your company or podcast or book or whatever you want to do. Off you go. Well, uh, for anybody listening, I would just say that if you are interested in foreign exchange or learning how to better manage foreign exchange, um, then you should speak to NatWest and more particularly NatWest Markets. Um, we will endeavour to help you out. Um, even if we can't help you directly, we'll, we'll hope to point you in the right direction. That was great. And probably about 30 seconds, so well done. <laughs> so that was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to Neil for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, follow us on Spotify and find us on socials at BizWithoutBS. Until next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye.